preach this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right, I'm glad to be here this morning. So yeah, we're, we're planting uh, on the west side of Greenville. I uh, really have three target communities, Welcome, Judson, Dunning, but we want to expand, obviously. We want to plant more churches on that side because, because um, there are a lot of church buildings over there. Um, a lot of from the, the demographics have changed so much that the people who live there don't actually go to those churches. Um, so there's a lack of, of, of gospel understanding. And, and just to tell you a little about that area, um, it's an area that has a lot of, of poverty. Um, so... Uh, about 13% of the families in South Carolina would live below the poverty line, and this community would be 26%, so it's double the amount. Um, about 13% of families in, in America, families that have children, uh, would be uh, single-parent homes. In this community, it's about 26% again. So there's some brokenness there, and I strongly believe that the gospel is the answer to the brokenness that the changed heart that results in the proclamation of the gospel, that it has tangible effects in the community. Um, So I know he just prayed, but I'm going to pray again. Oh, Father, you are so good. We love you, Lord Jesus. Father, I I ask that, that your kingdom would come. Lord, I ask that your presence would be felt here. Lord, that your word would go forth in power. Lord, I don't only want our minds to be engaged. Lord, I want our hearts to be engaged. Would would you engage our hearts with your word? Your word calls us to repentance. Your word calls us to trust in the gospel. So Lord, help us by the Holy Spirit do that today. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I grew up here in Greenville. And uh, I got saved around the age of 14, and I heard of this concept uh, called an unreached people group. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with that. This is a group of people, usually in another part of the world, that don't have access to the gospel. And what I mean by don't have access to the gospel is that there's no bookstore, you don't turn on the radio, it's not on TV. They don't actually know anybody who is a Christian. And, And this concept really blew my mind. Particularly having grown up in Greenville, uh, having seen a church on every street corner, and like when the Lord started drawing me, I could go to the store and buy a Bible. But this is not the case. For about two billion people, this is not the case. And when you think about, here's the weird thing about unreached people groups. We're not confused as to where they're at. We have research. We, We know exactly where they're at. We're not confused at what they believe. We have research. We're not confused at the the hurdles because we have research. So if we know that there are 2 billion people with no access to the gospel, why are we not doing things about it? You know, I heard a story of a guy who was in an unreached people group area and he led somebody to Christ. And that man who got led to Christ had immediate joy. But right after that joy, he began to weep. And he said, why didn't you come sooner? What about my family? 
What about the ones who have died already? And I'm a strong believer in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. But what is our human answer? It's not that we didn't know. So that's one idea. So then I had to think, so there, there are like legitimate, like scientific measures of an unreached people group. But I had to think about it more. So what, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that they know the name of Jesus? Would, would that equate that they are reached? So when I, w- when I was in China, I was talking to a guy and I said, do you know Jesus Christ? And American movies are very popular there. And he said, oh, Jesus Christ, you mean the cuss word? I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. But he knew the name, right? But is he reached? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, would, it, would it be uh, the ability to have religious vocabulary? Would that mean that, that one is reached? I had a friend this the past year. She said, I got saved. And I was really excited. I was like, man, that is so great. What does that mean to you? Tell me what that means. She said, that means that I have to work for Jesus. That I have to do what he says. And there was no mention of the cross. No mention of grace. And this is in the city. No mention of rest. So does the religious vocabulary mean that someone is reached? I'd have to say no. And again, we have to ask this question. If we know that there are people in our very city who do not have a working understanding of the gospel, and I I know you know people, I know people, and we haven't opened our mouths, why? Why have we not done that? it's awkward sometimes it's hard sometimes you're afraid of the consequences at your job or potential social ostracism there are a lot of reasons ultimately it's because it's hard a lot of times there are people that we know who are in need but we know they're really needy so we don't really want to go closer to them so this, there's, there's this, this idea that there are places, even in our own life, in this very city, there are places of avoidance. There are people of avoidance. Um, I'm really glad that my team is here. Um, Austin, he's on my team. And, and when he moved to Greenville, he said, he's talking to people, he said, where should you move? You know, where should I move? I said, well, you can, you know, move pretty much anywhere. Just, just don't go on the west side. Uh, And that paints a picture of our city's view of the people that live there. The fact that now because I'm planting a church there, I have been able to give a lot of tours. And a lot of people want to lock their door. No, but I've given a lot of tours around there. And people who have grown up here or have been here for years have said, I've never been over here. And I'm telling you that there are people over there with no working knowledge of the gospel. And we don't have to get on a plane to go see them. But there are places of avoidance. The crazy thing, man, is that, that Jesus goes to the places of avoidance. He goes to the broken places. The places that are complicated. The places that even if he were seen there, people would talk about him. 
Remember how he would hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners? He was risking his reputation to do that. He was risking his reputation as a religious teacher, knowing that people would whisper about him. But nevertheless, he went. And so today we're going to look at a particular story in in John chapter 4 of Jesus going to a place that others avoided. My aim is that we would learn to follow Jesus. That we would learn to follow Jesus into avoided places. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, in the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. One of the things, things that's interesting to me is that the, the first couple of verses talk about uh, some potential controversy that Jesus could have got into with, because of theology. With some, with some people who wanted to, like the Pharisees like to debate. They always were trying to debate him. They were always, there's, there's, there's times in the gospel where they're like intentionally trying to trip him up. And I find for myself, when, when someone comes to debate me, I want to win. Now I said, funny to repent. I had to, actually had to repent to my sister this morning. I was like, we had a discussion, and I just wanted to win. All right? But you know what I'm saying? So we have these discussions, and we want to be right. But that's a self-centered understanding of it. And Jesus, though he could have won the argument, because he is Jesus, he said, man, I have more important things to do. I'm not going to get caught arguing these particular details or trying to appease these particular people. Because I am on a mission. I have a mission from my Father. So Jesus goes and it says that he has to go to Samaria. In that time, it was common, like if you weren't a Jew, it was a direct route. Right? It is a direct route. But Jews intentionally went around Samaria. Samaria was one of those avoided places. It was an avoided place because from a Jew's perspective, it was uh, religiously unpure. Because it, it was like they had this kind of Judaism light. It was like a Judaism there that was a mixture of also idolatry. And the Jews said, I don't even, like, even though it would be easy for me to walk that direction, I don't want any part of that. So I'm actually going to take the long route and walk around because I don't want none of uh, the, 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 the dirtiness of, of their religion and their culture. I don't want it to touch me. I want to be clean. And I don't want my family to see me go through Samaria. What will they think? Will they think that I, I too am a Samaria? So we have this place that is intentionally avoided. And the Bible says that Jesus had to go. He had to go. Now, in a technical sense, he didn't have to go. There was a known route. They had a route set. This is how you avoid that part of, part of the country. But he said, no, I have to go. And Jesus is not afraid 
to go to the places that others avoid. He is not afraid of what others would think of him because he had a mission from his father. He did not view the Samaritans as lesser. He did not view the Samaritans as simply unclean. And we too, when we, when we look at people, no matter what the society says about them or what our own heart tries to say about them, we must remember that just like Jesus, we too are sent. We too are, are supposed to pursue even the ones whom others avoid. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, this is just a segue. You know, this, is, this is free. This actually has nothing to do with the point of my sermon. I just want to show you, I just wanted to show you this, this thing. Jesus was thirsty. Now we're like, oh man, yeah, he was thirsty. I want you to understand that just a couple chapters before, in John chapter 1, he just said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Being God means you have no need. Being God means you never feel weakness. In the Old Testament, he says, I have a cattle on a thousand hills. What can you get to me? I actually don't need anything from you. But Jesus put on flesh. And we think of his suffering primarily as a cross, and that is the primary suffering. But his whole life, from his perspective, was suffering. Because he experienced need. And I want you to understand that Jesus inconvenienced himself to pursue you. So there's, there, and it says it was the sixth hour, six hours about noon. So around noon, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, this is, this is, is weird uh, in the culture as well, because usually for safety, women would go as a group. And usually for logistics, they would go in the morning or in the evening, not at the hottest time of the day. So we already know that there, there's something a little bit odd about this particular woman and the place that's already a little bit odd. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. So, in that time, it also wasn't appropriate for a man and a woman to be speaking in public. There were all these overtones of, are they being sexually impure? Like, what's going on? So, so we have Jesus who goes to the place that others avoided, talks to the person who others avoided, and enters into to this, this kind of, this area where if you were looking, if you were looking at him, you'd be like, what in the world is he doing? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know where he is? Who is he talking to? He says, give me a drink. He says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So she understands the awkwardness. Like, she's like, this, this never happens to me. I just try to get my water and go back home. All right? So he says, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is asking you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and we, he would have given you living water. 
Now we read that and we think like eternal life, but living water is just running water, which is better than water that has been sitting. All right, so she was going in the well, she had sitting water, and he's like, I have better water. And so her mind, she's thinking, man, she knows where the river's at. Where's this river? I want to go to this river. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? She's like, he must not be from around here. He doesn't know where the water's at. Um, Verse 12 says, "Are, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. The question is funny, is he greater than Jacob? Yes, he is greater than Jacob. Jacob was known as a deceiver and a liar who would use people to get what he wanted. Jesus is the one who lays down his own life for the sake of others. He says, Jesus asked her, said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is talking about the, the satisfaction that can come from salvation, the contentment that can come from him. Because honestly, we are all seeking some sort of satisfaction and some sort of contentment. Everyone in the world is spinning their wills. Everyone's making New Year's resolutions right now because they perceive that there will be some sort of satisfaction. And what Jesus is saying about the New Year's resolution, if you will, is that even if you get that thing, if you make that resolution, if you do not have me, you will not be satisfied. So, (laughs) the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink. Now, here's the funny thing. I've read this a long time and thought that she was like, man, I really want that water. But I really think she was being sarcastic because she did not believe him up to this point. She's like, there's this crazy man, this Jew. He knows he's not supposed to talk to me. He's talking to me, talking about some water that's not here. Yeah, give me the water. I want the water. Whatever. And I think a lot of times people will, will respond to our story of the gospel with sarcasm. They will respond with a level of unbelief. They will respond with mocking at times. But Jesus did not let this mocking deter him. He continued to press in. One of my first jobs, I worked at the shoe store and uh, in the mall, Journey's Kids. And the manager of Journey's, Journeys, the regular Journeys would come over. And I, I'm not even going to say to you what he would say to me. He would make fun of Jesus. And like lit- literally, I cannot repeat to you what he would say. And, and, I, and I, I knew he was trying to get a rise out of me. And at times, I really wanted to rise up. Because I'm like, he can't be talking about Jesus. Come on now. Uh, so, so he would say things like this. But, but the fact of the matter is, now what, what was provoking him to make fun of me? Like, I, I didn't even try to share. Like, this is like my, my very first day. He meets me and starts making fun of Jesus. And I'm like, you don't know me. Man, I feel like he was, he, for him to, to mock it, for him to make fun of it, for him to even give it uh, time of day in his mind, there was something going on in his heart. 
Now, I could have been really mad and never talked to him. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus calls us to press in, even if people mock us. Verse 16, it said, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now it just got real, all right? So she thinks she's talking to a crazy dude. She's like, yeah, give me that cool water that, that I'll never be thirsty again. And so she's like, think about it, she's making fun of him. And then Jesus, like, he Jesus juked, Jesus, Jesus juked him. I don't know if you know what a Jesus juke is. You don't. That's okay. A Jesus juke is like this. All right, let me tell you what a Jesus juke is. Are you like, I'm thirsty. And somebody goes, I have the water that never runs out. I'm like, man, you Jesus juked me. All right, so she just, he, she, he just made it serious. said, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. All right. Here's the craziest thing. So we know that Jesus knows all things, right? We know know that he does. So he knows the intricacies of this woman's sin. He knows it already. He just told her about it. And he still didn't shrink back. The knowledge of someone's sinfulness and the complexities of their lives because of sin should not cause us to shrink back. We should not indulge sin, but we should not be surprised by it either. So he knew the full weight of her sin, the complicated mess that was her heart and her life. And he went to Samaria to pursue her. So it gets real, all right? What you have said is true. The woman said to her, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Uh, which is like, duh. But like, <laughs> so it's really funny. He's like, oh, snap. That's, this might be real. But let's, let's continue. Let's continue. He says, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, it's getting real, right? Jesus is pressing her about some moral issues. And she brings up a theological debate. So basically, she's thinking, well, this dude must be religious. He's prophetic. Maybe I can kind of change the subject and talk about this, this kind of obscure idea. Man, that happens too. I have, I, have indul- like, I have been talking to people about the gospel, and they bring up a theological question. And then, like, we get into this argument about this particular topic. And then 30 minutes later, I come to find out they actually don't care. They do not care about that topic. But Jesus continues, so, so, so actually one of the, the deflections from the gospel is actually from an unbeliever, and sometimes from ourselves when someone's pressing us, is a theological argument that if you press really hard, it's not dear to their heart. They're trying to deflect from the fact that there is some conviction going on. And they don't really want to hear about that. Now, if, if Jesus was like me, thank God he's not like me, he would be like, nah, you're wrong. You're wrong. But Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. 
for salvation is from the Jews. So he did make a little comment. He's like, I'm right. But he didn't stay there. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I hear a lot of talk about spirit and truth. I, 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 I really want to just bring it down. What, what he's talking about, worshiping in spirit and truth. Worshiping in spirit, he's not referring particularly to the Holy Spirit at this point. He's referring to worshiping with the core of your being. Worshiping with, with the innermost part. She was concerned with the minutia of particular obscure theological points. And he said the Father is seeking people who would love him with all of their being. The Father is, is not primarily concerned with, with, with your actions, although he is, but your actions are an overflow of what is in your heart. So he's seeking for people <coughs> to worship him from a deep place, from a heartfelt place. And in truth, it's not enough simply to be heartfelt. He wants you to worship him with the true knowledge of what he is or who he is. You know, A.W. Tozer says that if we worship a Jesus of our own making, we are worshiping an idol. So God says he has made himself known in Christ. And he says, do you want to know what I'm like? Look at my son. And here's the craziest thing. It says the father is seeking. Why did Jesus go to Samaria? Because the father was seeking that woman. Which is crazy to me that God, the one who has no need, who was holy, who, who hates sin and wants no part of it, looks at the most sinful one in the bunch and says, I want you. And if we're honest, that's us. I, there, there's nothing in, in myself that, that would require God to pursue me. There's nothing in you that would require him to pursue you. But he says, I am seeking for you. I am seeking for you. And not only that, he is seeking the worst people. He is seeking the ostracized people. He is seeking the ones who are ignored and nobody considers them. The ones who go to the well in the middle of the day so they can hide. 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she obviously begins to realize this guy is not joking. Jesus is not joking, and he's not a crazy man talking to her. And, I, and she has a glimmer of hope. You know how somebody will ask you a question but not really ask you the question? Like, for instance, you want to go out to eat, and the question you say is, are you hungry? Well, you really want to go out to eat, right? So she's like, when the Messiah comes, 
You know, is that you? You know, like, so <laughs> when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> and so Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And Jesus goes to pursue this woman in Samaria. 27 says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? Marvel, that's a nice way of saying they were going, what? What are you doing? Now they know he's Jesus. Like he's, he's probably heard him teach. So they're like, we're not going to like confront him. But does he know this is wrong? Like, does he know you can't be seen with that kind of, like, that's the people you can't be seen with, Jesus? And Jesus, you know we associated with you. You are a teacher. They're going to think we'd be talking to women at the well. Jesus, stop. You know, they want to be like, gee, you better stop that. You're making me look bad. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's really what's going on because they're thinking, man, all my reputation, like, I left my, my boat. I don't have no home to go to. I left all that, and I'm with Jesus, and he's out here talking to a woman. And I told my family I was going to seminary, and now I'm out here talking to women <laughs> at the well. This is not good. All right? So, <clears throat> but here's the thing, man. Jesus calls us to places where others would ostracize, where others would say, that does not make sense. I remember uh, when, when, I was, when we were moving to China, uh, my son, he was six months old. And people used to ask us this really crazy question. They would say, is he coming? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's coming. Like, what are you talking about? But in their mind, they're like, that's, you, don't, you don't do stuff like that. That's out of the realm of normalcy. It's not safe. Don't you think people will consider you bad parents? But Jesus calls us to places where others will marvel and say, what are you doing? And why are you doing that? Verse 20, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, this is just amazing. So first of all, she forgot whatever she was doing. She came here to get water. She left her water. All right. So she found something better. Not only this, but you got to understand this woman would be a woman who was full of shame. Remember, she went to the well so no one else would see her. And this woman who was full of shame got bold. And she went into the town and began to tell others about who Jesus is. And I'm sure the others were like, we don't ever see her. Where, where did she come from? She's a bad lady. We'll talk to her. And she's coming up here. Though, though people would look down on her and criticize her and judge her, she has found someone who removes her shame. And she thus says, I am not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of what you think because I found someone who will remove my shame. And he can remove yours too. And God, he loves to use people that it doesn't make sense that he would use. And here's my hope and here's my dream. So when people consider the west side of our city, they don't have... Um, a high view of it. But I believe there's missionaries over there. And I believe there's pastors over there. I believe there's godly men and women who are waiting 
They're waiting for the gospel so that Christ can be proclaimed and they can be transformed. And all the shame that has been casted on them, they can throw it aside. And I have a dream that they would be an example to this city. So the whole ministry of Jesus, this is a microcosm of his ministry. We have Jesus who is, who is God from eternity, having no pain, no shame. He's getting worshipped for all eternity. No need. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says that we rejected him. So when we look at the life and the death of Jesus, we can see in his very life he is going to endure suffering and endure inconvenience and endure shame so that he can pursue you and me. And that pursuit followed That shame in his pursuit followed him all the way to the cross. And I I, I just cannot, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the one who holds the world up by his power. It's not that he just made it and left. The reason your chair is supporting you is because Jesus is holding it up right now. And I cannot imagine when they were beating him and he was the one who was holding them up. He was the one who was holding the weapons of torture together. He was the one that were allowing their muscles to beat him. And why? Because he was pursuing you. He endured that shame. His willingness to put on suffering to pursue us. His his love teaches us and encourages us to do the same. We have a great example who also is our substitute, but still calls us to follow him. You know, there's a song. I'm pretty, I'm like 95% sure y'all haven't heard it. I know my wife's heard it. It's called Urban Missionary. It's by a rapper named Fizzle. I told you you didn't know what it was. Um, So anyway, in the first verse, he begins to talk about um, his conversion story. Um, So he was a drug dealer. He's talking about he has, he's walking down the street on a Sunday morning. Uh, He has like a 40, which is a big, a very big bottle of alcohol. And he has a pocket full of drugs. And he's walking down the street. And there's a church that they're coming out of the church. And they say, hey, come here. And I'm like, if I saw a dude walking down with a 40, I don't know if I'd be like, hey. No, but so like this church is already like living out this example of Christ. So they're saying, hey, what are you doing? The pastor starts talking to him. And he's just, they're having a conversation. And he's like, what do you do for a living? And he's talking about, well, I couldn't tell him I was selling drugs. Uh, So (laughs) I told him I was a rapper. And so in their congregation, there had been a man who had been saved who raps. And so they started to strike up a conversation. This dude rapped the gospel to him. And he got saved, all right? So it's, it's, I know, it's just, but so we have th- these people who are not ashamed to be associated with one whom normally people would be ashamed to be associated. The second verse talks about, there's a guy in Chicago. He, he moved his family 
uh, to the west side of Chicago, which is uh, infinitely, infinitely more dangerous than the west side of Greenville. All right? And he talks about how, you know, they've had to get on the floor because there were bullets and, and how people have threatened them, but he's there because he, he moved there because he knows the gospel brings hope. All right, so people who are, they're starting house churches on the west side of Chicago. And then he, he starts exhorting people. And he just starts talking about, about different, different examples. He says, um, uh, there's a dude on the corner who's out there smoking weed who needs to hear the truth because the truth will set him free. Uh, there's a baby in the building that don't have no food because her mama's on the block trying to get it from the dudes. Ain't nothing wrong with you going overseas, but there's people on your same street that need to be free. If you want to go on a mission, you don't have to look far because there's people who need to hear the truth in your backyard. And then he begins to name just random places like at the barbershop, at the beauty shop, at the car wash, at the coffee shop, all these places. And if you are honest... And if you take an honest assessment of your life, you will see those people. You will see those people whom you might have been avoiding, whom you might not have wanted to enter into that conversation. But I want to press you. I want to press you. And I want you to understand, if Jesus would have given in to his hesitations about associating with you, we would not be here right now. And he shows us a better way. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not, we, we have an accurate view of salvation. It's not that we never sin. Like, we're still messed up, right? We still got issues. And in Hebrews, it says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's still associating with people who are broken. Hey, that person who sinned last night, that's my brother. That person who never reads his Bible, that's my brother. I love them. So not only is Jesus pursuing us with his life and his death and his resurrection, he is continually pursuing us, even in our brokenness. And he is not ashamed. And he calls us not to be ashamed either. To go pursue people. I want this year, I want the mission of Jesus to be ringing in your ears. I want you to think about it when you wake up. I want you to think about it when you go to sleep. I, when you're driving in the car, I want you to be thinking about the people who don't know him. Because what excuse can we give them? It was too awkward. It was too hard. I had something else to do. Jesus doesn't give us those excuses. He emptied himself, and he laid down his life. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing, man. Here's the beautiful thing. When you go pursue others, we have this promise from Scripture that the Father has already been pursuing them. The Father is already seeking them. He is seeking people to worship him. And so you can go with confidence. I don't have to rely on wisdom are the best gospel presentation. I talk about what he's done for me and remember that he is ultimately the one who is pursuing. And remember just how he used this broken Samaritan woman whom nobody would have listened to. They began to listen then. And he can use us. 
even if our words aren't perfect and we feel a little awkward about it, he can still use us. So I just want you to remember the gospel. I, I remember in the songs that we sang this morning, I know you remember the gospel. I know this is a gospel-centered church. I want you to remember that the gospel is not only a comfort, it is a comfort, but it is something that is pushing us forward. And remember that. And when you struggle with how, how do I change my heart? I mean, you, you can't in your own strength. Well, how do I re- re- come over my fears or the fear of awkwardness or the fear of what, what other people would think? And I would tell you, just as I'm sure your pastor would, remember the gospel. Remember how Jesus laid down his life for you and, in, and endured all sorts of shame. And the Holy Spirit will use that to give you boldness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sought us. I thank you that you pursued us. Even when we were not looking for you. Even before the foundation of the world. You thought of us. And Jesus, I thank you for the life that you live. And I thank you for the death that you died in our place. And I thank you that you, you are resurrected and you sit at the right hand of God and you orchestrate our lives for your good and from your seat, you are directing us towards mission. And Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you that you empower us, that you push us forward, that you help us to overcome our sin and our fear. Trying God, help us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, I, I don't just want to be one who, who um, I don't know, gorges myself on the gospel without sharing. Let us share. Let us remember that it is in your nature to share and to pursue. Give us grace to do that today and the rest of our days. In your name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.